You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. When people are in that situation, when they find themselves in trouble, don't give them your opinion. People don't need your opinion. They need to hear from God's Word. So if you're going to say anything to them, quote the Scriptures. You know, give them that hope that's recorded for us through the Scriptures. And it changed dramatically David's perspective on the things that were going on at that present time. He helped turn his eyes away from his present situation in trouble to fix them upon God. Sometimes you just need a listening ear, someone who will hear what you have to say but isn't quick to offer advice for the solution. Other times you do need someone to give you some input to help counsel you through a difficult circumstance that you feel lost in. Throughout today's teaching, Pastor Mike mentions how important it is to point people to Scripture rather than offering your own advice, because God's truths are something you can't mess up. So look to God's Word to feed your soul. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23 as he continues his message, Timely Interventions of a Sovereign God. So David saved the inhabitants of uh, Kilah. Okay, so uh, anyway here, uh, David uh, and his men began by taking away the Philistines' livestock. Why? So that the invaders could not remove any of the wheat and barley that the people had uh, gathered. Now this was a very wise thing to uh, do. Why was that? Because remember, the animals, the livestock, were, would have been used by the Philistines to transport the grains. And so without them having access to the livestock, they weren't able to remove the grains from the Israelis. And then we are told that David defeated the Philistines with a great slaughter. And after the battle, I imagine, inside the city now of Kilah, David, his troops, were treated like conquering heroes. Because, after all, they had spared the total collapse of their economy. So, they were given a status befitting their service. And their success increased their confidence in themselves and David as their leader. But once again, I want to bring you back to this truth. This all stemmed from, that is the success, this all stemmed from first inquiring of the Lord. And again, this would also be true of you and I. If you want to experience real success in your life's experience and the choices and decisions 
the things that you have to face on a regular basis, make sure that you take the time out to inquire of the Lord. Make sure that he's a part of your decision-making process, that he's a part of the equation. So now, David and his men and all of their families are dwelling inside a walled city, Kyla, which provided a new sense of security. So it seems as if things are going quite well for David and his men. Now, in verse 6, we are also told, while they were there in Kyla, David was joined by this fellow whose name was Abiathar, and he was a priest. We were already been introduced to him. He was the only survivor of the slaughter by Saul at that location in Nob where the tabernacle had been set up, and he came to David with an ephod in his hand. And so David now has the services of a priest, which of course would have been very important, and the ephod was a further means of discerning the will of God. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this ephod and what it was all about. The ephod was a garment that was worn by the priests. It was a close-fitting vest, and sewn to the garment were rings of gold, by which the elaborate breastplate was held in place. The shoulders were made up of gemstones, upon which the names of the twelve tribes were engraved. So each one of those gemstones represented one of the tribes of Israel, <clears throat> twelve in uh, all. And this garment was also used in communicating to God, or discerning God's will. Because on the breastplate there was a pouch which held the Urim and Thummim, these gemstones with markings on either side. They were taken out of the pouch when guidance was needed from God. Now, I'm going to try to explain this, but I've got to tell you something. No one really knows how they used the Urim and Thummim, and I guess it's really open to speculation. It's all according to who you uh, read. You know, one person will give you one explanation, and another uh, commentator will give you another, but we're really not quite sure how they uh, discerned the will of God using the Urim and uh, Thummim. But basically, uh, we are told, this is one of the plausible explanations, if both showed, when they pulled out the gemstones out of these pockets, if both showed the one inscription, that meant yes. So God responded yes. So they would ask God a question. When they pulled out the gemstones and they were of the same markings on it, both of them, that would mean yes. They were to go forward, to do whatever uh, they were asking God uh, that they should do. Uh, if they pulled out the gemstones and uh, both of them were the opposite, that meant uh, no. If they pulled out the gemstones and one was of the one inscription on it, but the other was uh, different, that would have meant inconclusive. So they were to do uh, nothing. And it's also been suggested that when they sought out the priest and used the Urim and Thummim, that they glowed in a, sap, a supernatural kind of a light. Now again, I mean, I, you know, I'm, the best I can is offering that explanation. But again, according to who you, you, know, you read, you have all kinds of different uh, interpretations and explanations. Well, anyway, when David saw Abiathar, the priest, come down, he knew that there was a new way for him to communicate with God. Listen, how wonderfully God provides for his uh, servants. And, and, you know, we don't appeal to the Urim and Thummim any longer. 
And our high priest is Jesus himself, right? And, uh, but again, if we appeal to him, you can be sure that he will respond. And so how wonderfully God provides for his servants. And more times than not, he usually responds to our questions through the study and the reading and the counsel of the word. And that's exactly why we place such a high premium upon the study of God's word here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Listen, if you are uh, seeking an answer to a question, or if you find yourself you know, not quite sure of what you're to do, whether you should go forward or just stay still or, or not get involved, then I would encourage you to just open your Bibles. And God has the wonderful uh, capacity to be able to answer those questions for us, right? So we find often the answer to our question. I mean, this is probably the greatest way that God responds to answer those questions for us. There are other ways as well. You know, just the way things work themselves out, line up, and, you know, this is another way that God orchestrates all of the details within our lives. But more times than not, he speaks to us through and encourage us in his word. It's there that we find the answers. It's there that we find the counsel of God's word. You see, God wants to be a part of our decision-making process. So what a wonderful resource we have in the study of God's word. Well, anyway, meanwhile, back now in the city of Gibeah, and remember, Gibeah was the location where Saul had set up his uh, kingdom. Saul according to verse 7, is delighted to learn that David was living in a fortified city. Let's go on now. Let's read verse 7. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Yeah, Saul, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think it was God who delivered him into your hand. Saul is completely and totally out of the will of God right now. But anyway, nevertheless... Notice, he says, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So again, Saul is delighted to learn that David was living in a fortified city. You see, Saul believed David had made a tactical blunder by relying on the protection of a city and its people. And also notice the twisted workings of Saul's mind He thought he had God's blessing. Once again, notice what it says there in verse 7. God has delivered him into my hand. I don't think so, Saul. And so anyway, nevertheless, he made plans to march on that city to take David. Verse 8. Let's pick up now in verse 8. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. Now, So, obviously, when news of Saul's activities reached David, he found a new dilemma that he had to face. What was that? Well, he had the choice to stay in the city and face a siege, or, he thought to himself, would the inhabitants give him up? You know, probably the inhabitants of Kilah would have been extremely concerned about the king of Israel coming with all of his forces, you know, to take David, they would besiege that city. They didn't want to lose their lives protecting David. So maybe they would have bound David and gave him up. So this was a a very plausible uh, possibility uh, for David. This is his dilemma. This is the, 
He's caught between a, the proverbial rock and the hard place here. So once again, what does he do? Well, and again, this is what we should take away from this. We are told, verses 9 through 12, he inquires of the Lord. Very good action. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 9 through 12. So when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, guess what? He will come down. Then David said, and here was the other part of the equation, will the men of Kilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And what did the Lord say? They will deliver you. Okay, so no relief here. Well, anyway, without any harsh feelings or resentment, and of course, David could have felt that way because remember, he had just fought on their behalf in defeating the Philistines, saving their economy. You'd think they would have been more grateful than that. Well, David led his men out of the city into the wilderness of Ziph. And once again, there are a bunch of outcasts on the run, but sovereignly protected by God. Abandoned by man, yes, but notice, never by God. Okay, verses 13 through 15 now. So David and his men, about 600, and also this would include family, uh, wives and children as well. So it's not just 600 individuals. It would have been also the families who had joined uh, these fighting men as well, the 600. And so there we are told now in verse 13, so David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kilah and went wherever they could. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kilah, and so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his uh, hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Now, in marked contrast to the ingratitude of the people of Ziph, there is the love and loyalty of Jonathan. And remember, we are told in one of our previous studies that their hearts had been knit together. And by the way, just in case you aren't aware of this, Jonathan was Saul's son, the king's son, who again is determined, is bent on killing uh, David. But David has a true friend in the person of uh, Jonathan. And he loved David. He was so loyal to David. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 16 and uh, through 18 that describes for us this meeting between uh, the two. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And we're not quite sure exactly how Jonathan found him. Remember, they're on the run. They're hiding. I, I guess God had orchestrated all of the details whereby Jonathan was able to find his beloved friend David. 
And I just love it. You know, God used a human instrument uh, to encourage David, as we're about to discover. And uh, though Saul couldn't find him, Jonathan did. God always provides help for his people, once again, right? And uh, even though the fact that David was in hiding, God knew where he was, and so he directed Jonathan to where David was. And how often God directs help towards us when we feel abandoned and, you know, there's no help to be had. But God is always there, like the charging cavalry, right, as I had already uh, mentioned. Well, anyway, let's pick up now. And uh, so uh, there we are told, uh, then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went to David in the woods, and strengthened his hand in God. Would you underline that, that, that phrase, strengthened his hand in God? And he said to him, this is Jonathan now speaking to David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. This is sort of like a prophetical announcement, actually. Now, remember, God is using Jonathan as his instrument to speak to David, right? And how often does God use human instruments to speak to us, to encourage us, to strengthen our hearts, right? I don't exactly know why God chooses and uses human instruments, as frail and, and inconsistent as we are, but nevertheless, he does, right? Well, anyway... Uh, and he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul uh, knows this. And then in verse 18, once again, they uh, recommit themselves to each other and their commitment that they had previously made. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own uh, house. Okay, so, although at this time he wasn't with David, he felt his anxieties, he felt David's frustrations, and so he journeyed to the land of Ziph to reassure his friend David of God's protection and uh, blessing, according to verse 17. And you know what? I, I'm sure that that really meant a lot uh, to David. He's encouraged. His load is lightened just a bit. And David, in fact, after and in regards to this meeting that had just taken place, he wrote the 54th Psalm. And as I've mentioned for the last several times together, that many of the Psalms that are written and a part of the book of Psalms were written by these different men's life's experience. Like, for example, Asaph, but Mo Moses. But most of those were written actually by David himself. Let's just read a portion of that 54th Psalm, verses 1 through uh, 5. And again, this, is, you know, this was the result of Jonathan meeting with David, being encouraged and strengthened. And so in response to what Jonathan had told David, this is the psalm that he wrote. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. You see, this is the conclusion. You know, that makes all the difference in the world, right? 
You know, because initially when, you know, trouble comes to knocking at our door, we don't usually respond to it immediately in an appropriate way. That is, immediately turning to God. We let anxiety and fear come in. And it shuts us down often. Fear begins to grip our hearts. We don't see things as they really are. We forget that we are a child of God. We forget about the fact that God has made all of these wonderful resources available to us. So how important it is to be brought to this truth, back to this truth, that, behold, God is our helper. And that's what Jonathan was letting him know. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. And then finally, verse 5, he will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your uh, truth. Okay, now, so that was the result of this meeting that took place between Jonathan and David. But there's also a couple of things that I want to draw to your attention here. The result of this meeting and the words that Jonathan had shared with David. The first of which is, all of us possess the gifts of giving, the gifts of helps, and showing mercy. And listen, we are without excuse if we turn our backs upon those who need our encouragement. So, if you ever become aware of a situation where particularly a brother or sister in Christ needs to be encouraged, hey, listen, do whatever you can possibly do to encourage. Let's, again, take Jonathan's lead here. We are without excuse, because every one of us has this gift. As I mentioned before, I don't know why God uses human instruments to do his work. He uses our mouths to speak forth his words. He uses our hearts to love them. He uses our hands to help them, right? We are God's instruments. We are without excuse when we become aware of a person who is in need. We need to come alongside of that person and do whatever we possibly can do within our limited abilities. But nevertheless, we need to uh, do exactly that. So that's the first thing that I want to draw your attention to. But then secondly, I want you to think about this. When ministering to others, remember Jonathan here did not give David his own personal advice or his opinion. Listen, when people are in that situation, when they find themselves in trouble, don't give them your opinion. People don't need your opinion. They need to hear from God's word. So if you're going to say anything to them, quote the scriptures. You know, give them that hope that's recorded for us through the scriptures. And it changed dramatically David's perspective on the things that were going on at that present time. He helped turn his eyes away from his present situation in trouble to fix them upon God. And thus he renewed his confidence in him, which is expressed in that phrase, he strengthened his hand in God. There in verse 16. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel next time here on In My Father's House. There's a place for